Welcome back, Red Spotters! Another show here in the Red Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host today, Alexis J. Soto, joined by my very good friend, Mr. David Francisco. We're back with Red Spotlight number 307. On today's episode, David and I are going to catch you guys all up on all the Marvel Ings happening on the internet. All of your questions and still lingering theorizations of WandaVision have been answered <laughs> seemingly by Jack Schaefer and Max Shackman, the people behind WandaVision themselves. We've got plenty of interview quotes. We're going to have discussions about how we thought it all landed, how we are still feeling from it, as well as to prepare you guys for what to expect for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which of course, David and I, we did seven weeks. Can you believe that? Seven weeks uh, <laughs> doing the WandaVision recaps. We did 12, 11 or 12 weeks doing the S.H.I.E.L.D. recaps. And so like, I I personally, you know, I'm not sure how re-listenable, if that's even a term, the episodes are, but like, it's so fun though. Uh, sitting down with you week to week and, you know, theorizing and, and and seeing if we can just talk about the episodes week to week. And so um, we have six to go with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And uh, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see what the response is going to be to that one. So we'll have mm -hmm. more discussion on that in a bit. But just to keep an eye out for that one on our feed, remember our podcasts drop every single Sunday, sometimes on Thursdays, but for Falcon and Winter Soldier, I would imagine they probably would drop between Tuesday and Wednesday, depending on how we are able to produce them, because we have several, as always, different shows going on at the same time. I want to remind our audience that, of course, we are still uh, covering awards season. We are still attempting to review as many um, new films as possible. Uh, the Oscar nominations did come out this week, but we're not going to cover them this week. I'm going to wait for Peter to come back next week. Uh, we still have reviews planned for films like Minari and Promising Young Women. Uh, excuse me, Promising Young Woman, as well as other films. Uh, and, of course, <laughs> a couple of big pop culture projects are hitting the streams this week raya and the last dragon i think a few weeks back but the team finally got around to seeing it david and i will discuss a little bit of how we thought uh the screening went as far as our you know private outdoor uh audience was concerned but next week we will commence uh with the official review of raya and the last dragon with peter martinez of course he was there as well as the Snyder Cut, the Justice League Snyder Cut version, which is also dropping on HBO Max this weekend. So it's a pretty loaded time, which I think, you know, David, it's a welcome change. It's been a long time since we've had stacked weeks like this. I think it hasn't <laughs> been, I think, at least since 2019, um, where we've had a couple of, you know, big items coalesce together. Mm -hmm. so it's nice to, to be talking about a bunch of stuff but you know we are small town uh podcast very limited with uh scheduling obviously so we're gonna get to those items as quickly as we can so thank you so much for um keeping your patience in mind when it comes to our coverage so a thousand thank yous all around and let's go ahead and jump in with the uh, agenda for this week. Of course, we're going to have a big Marvel conversation, but before that, let's get you guys caught up on where 
the movie industry is this week in regards to theaters reopening, as well as the potential future releases of upcoming films coming to a theater near you, maybe? Eh? Hmm. Or coming to a streaming service near you? There's still a bunch of uh, questions up in the air. Before we get to that, David, how are you doing this week? I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I visited you guys over the weekend and everything. I met Sergio and he gave me a bunch of PS4 games for me to play. <laughs> really? Yeah. So it, it was funny because he was just like, dude, I'm so excited. I finally got someone else to talk about these games. <laughs> <laughs> and I was kind of like, oh, I get it. I get it. I can't really talk about like the Nintendo games with my sister much because she doesn't really care. But yeah, <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> now, good shout out to Sergio Ramos, who is a frequent uh, listener of our show and seemingly a proprietor of many different things that all of us seem to like. <laughs> um, he deserves a very special shout out for procu uh, procuring other items that we will not um, reveal on the air, but all of us are very well aware of and we are f quite thankful for that uh we definitely feel better um and we hope all of you listening are feeling better as well it is an interesting time you know we spent so much of 2020 just in this state of darkness and hopelessness with no direction no light to guide us out but maybe maybe now if it kind of feels like a turning point with a lot of people getting like millions of people now getting vaccinated. I think almost 2 million people are getting vaccinated a day now. And the fact that all of us were able to have an event, all of us, I mean, all of the red spotlight panel, we hadn't really ha had many gatherings of any kind. You know, people have asked me in my personal life, like, why, why aren't you hanging out with your friends more often? Well, look, we would hang out every week at this place called the Cinemark every single Thursday. That would be our thing. And then afterward, we'd have a bite to eat at one of the, you know, restaurants nearby. And, you know, while that the pandemic didn't necessarily eliminate everything we could do, there were other, I guess, windows of opportunity, you could say. But, you know, every person on this panel, in this group, you know, has behaved with the utmost, I don't know, um, cautiousness because of the pandemic. And, and, and it, it was never really a conversation. I think everyone just understood the seriousness mm. of, of what this meant. All of our lives were changed. All of our lives were affected by this once-in-a-century pandemic. And it hasn't been easy. And this podcast and our virtual conversations have kept us going, but it, it definitely was the longest stretch of time where we just would not be in each other's space physically. It's been too long. Mm -hmm. I think it was like maybe the, the only time after the everything was shut down was when we had a screening of Mulan. It was a, I want to say it was in early September um which by the way that screening had a very com had a completely different climate shall we say than the one that we had for <laughs> raya and i'll get into the details there but you know 
No, I think I I just you know I want to say, take this time to really just be thankful for you know my friends, my friends here that were on this podcast that you know um, we I, I feel like we should just remind ourselves that it took a lot to be so strict and be so resolute about being cautious and taking precautions and keeping each other safe from this pandemic by not being in each other's space. And since, you know, some of us have the vaccine now or are partially vaccinated, we have, you know, <laughs> we've eased the restrictions here at Red Spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> um, shall we say we're still adhering to um, the CDC guidelines but again like um, this is the first time the five of us have been in the same space I want to say easily well I can't even recall I can't even mm. recall the last time we were all in the same space it may it may have yeah. even been years to be honest for sure it may have even been years <laughs> so I can't be I can't be sure I mean all of us together at once that's what I meant to say yeah but it's crazy. It was just so nice to see uh, you guys' faces again. It was just so nice to be in each other's company again. Uh, yeah, it, sure. it, it, it It was just something that I'd longed for for so long. And, you know, yeah. I mean, the pandemic hasn't been easy, and I won't lie. Um, when I say that, I wasn't jealous of other people, other, like, I don't know, cousins or groups of friends who would always be with their group of friends as if nothing was happening which only contributed to all of us i think just being only further frustrated with uh the i don't know the lack of seriousness that was you know clearly being exhibited by some of these people by a lot of people you know i just read a headline this last week that you know spring breakers are at it again only this time florida <laughs> seems to have some sense where they're actually arresting them for not adhering to the guidelines which hey go florida <laughs> for doing that yeah arrest the hell out of them if you're not they're gonna be <laughs> go ahead they're learning <laughs> <laughs> one step at a time um mm -hmm. anyway that was a long about way of saying it was nice to be together and it was nice to you know see a new movie i mean what a better way to mark the occasion than to see a new movie and you know let's talk about the screening that happened at my yard outside. Mm -hmm. uh, David brought over a screen, a projector, and a speaker. And I have to say, I, I you know, I, I thought it was quite great in terms of quality. I like the, the mm -hmm. picture, the size of the screen, and the speaker is where it really, I think, delivered um, overall. Mm -hmm. You know, we had, we had food, um, and I, I thought it was a really great experience. I think it definitely helped in this case that it was a great film, um, that we were watching. I can say this, it's not like I'm comparing this, basically this winter screening to the summer screening we had and man, they could not have been any more different. Like... Mm -hmm. I'll let you describe what it was like this past weekend, but let me just tell you, in September, it was humid, it was sweaty, there were bugs, um, 
I couldn't like the, the the volume on the speaker was hard to hear um a movie that wasn't all that interesting in the first place it um I uh, it was fun being together but the whole thing just kind of felt like a wash because you know a good or bad you know the, the quality of the film can definitely make or break I feel the overall mood of the night and mm-hmm. um that really wasn't what I was going for what we experienced this past weekend is exactly what I was going for only in this case perhaps I I didn't need it to be that cold <laughs> as it was. You, I'll let you go ahead and explain it on your end, David. Basically, the weather was just the complete opposite <laughs> of what you had in the summer. But honestly, though, that re- the the cold like really really helped because the projector um, it it doesn't. I don't think it would have lasted the whole entire movie, especially like the technical difficulties that we had. Uh, but because of the cold, I was able to like keep it charging throughout the movie, and it and it, would, it never overheated at all. <laughs> That's what happened. Like uh, um, those few times that we, I first used it, like I would keep it in because it was running out of battery. Then, like I don't know, ten minutes later, it's like it's overheating, so I had to like unplug it, then plug it back in after a while, and it was it, it's annoying. But that was the one great thing about having super cold weather was that. There, like once we got it started, no problem after. <laughs> well, good thing uh, we had one benefit out of it because, as far as I'm concerned, the rest of it was. Um, I mean, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps on on a minuscule level, it was a little. Um, it wasn't the most comfortable. You know, like you'd want it to, you know, not be too hot, too cold, but it was downright freezing. I mean. Again, like we're in an area where, like, if it gets to the 40s, that's considered like below freezing for our standards. But, um, it was a very windy couple of days. It had mm-hmm. just rained. Um, yeah, it, it was just, oh, goodness. It was, uh, it felt like we were freezing to death. And, you know, I had, mm-hmm. I had two sweaters on. The rest of you, I don't think, only had one sweater. And I kept asking you guys in the first couple minutes of the screening, are you sure you don't want me to bring some blankets? Because I'm fucking freezing my ass here. And I think we had stopped it uh, because we were waiting for someone else to arrive. And I was going to go get them, get more blankets or any blankets when Kyle like, ran up behind me. And here I thought he was going to ask to use the restroom, which of course wouldn't have been an issue. But then he was like, no, I'm I'm freezing my ass off. And like, I, I literally asked you guys several times. I was about to get them anyway, because I'm fucking cold here. Um, And then you guys went to go get your blankets from, you know, your car and everything. It was, mm-hmm. yeah, so it, it was just a, an interesting um, arrangement. Um, the whole, the whole thing. I, you know, in retrospect, I probably should have had, um, the hot chocolate out earlier um <laughs> you know because it was um it was fucking freezing yeah uh, for sure yeah overall though i think it was it was just a great night and we had a we yeah. had a, a bonfire that we rolled in after uh we had put away the projector and all that stuff and that's and that helped a lot <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it, really, it really helped <laughs> 
Yeah, um, it's a shame yeah. we can, maybe next, I don't know, if, if I had known it was going to be that cold, I might have entertained or toyed around with the idea of, like, bringing in heaters, uh, but damn, um, it was also kind of weird, too, because I think it was, um, there was some bats flying around nearby? <laughs> yeah. I... How are there bats in Brawley? Like, I don't know. That's the first time I ever saw a bat in 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 the in town. I've heard like my sister and her friends say like they've seen some, but I'm just always like, how? I I mean, even that day, like I didn't really see the bats flying, but I'm still like, how? <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I really don't. Um. All I can say is, I think it was overall a success. We had a great time. And um, we will have a full review of um, Raya and the Last Dragon next week. So, to give us more more time um, with it, you know, especially. Uh, I, I, I do want to rewatch it again. Um, but let me just say, uh, on just one viewing... Very, very high marks across mm-hmm. the board. I mean, across the board. I have been seeing some interesting, as as with every movie, there are some interesting think pieces um, that have contrarian points of view. I know there were initial concerns with the um, regarding the area of representation because this film is supposed to be basically off you know south east asian um influences and Mm -hmm. of course no one on our panel can speak to that we're not from that part of the world we don't know anyone from that part of the world i mean so i mean i'm gonna take a look at those if i can find them and see exactly what the concerns were um Although, think across the board, well, maybe I shouldn't say across the board. I should say, for the most part, lately, most people would think that Disney has overall done a good job with the issue or the matter of representation. That being said, there have always been detractors. And if we look back to I can think of some of the the films recently, and I mean recently as in like 20, 25 plus years, that have caused Disney some headaches. Um, They both have their defenders and their detractors, um, in particular to like um, Mulan, Pocahontas especially, and Moana also had some detractors in terms of its representation. Um, And then here we are with Ryan the Last Dragon. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, where we are with that mm-hmm. particular situation, and I'm I'm also seeing maybe not as much as I presume, but I do remember going by an article that suggested perhaps the overall messaging of the film was problematic. Um, you saw that? Yeah, I heard one about it, and they made a few good points but <laughs> i imagine they would um it's an interesting take um mm-hmm. yeah i guess we'll see when we can when we can pick that up next week when it comes to raya 
and The Last Dragon. And since we're on that, let's get into some of the uh, news items I have this week. So Ryan The Last Dragon is currently having a hybrid release. It is playing in theaters, unless you're Cinemark. Cinemark is not playing the, the movie because they did not agree to Disney's terms. They wanted more of the cut as usual. And Cinemark <laughs> was like, no, we're not doing that. So they're not playing the movie. And that's probably why it's not doing anywhere near as well as it should. Um, it is so far grossed, has grossed $15.8 million, the domestic box office in two weeks, I want to say. It, it And again, these are this is the pandemic era of box office. So again, like that's pretty much on par with some of the bigger releases. Although it's not performing nearly as well as Tom and Jerry. We had a review for Tom and Jerry in our previous episode. It has been critically panned. Um, it, it also is available to view right now on HBO Max. And yet that still seemed to draw some people out to the cinema and go out and see it um more so than ryan the last dragon which is curious um in that mm -hmm. regard and then when you look at the other the, the other part of the hybrid release was that it was you can view it on disney plus but if you pay $30 for it that's the premier access which they did with mulan and if you recall how we reported, that was not a success in the slightest um, in terms of how many people actually paid $30. Again, Disney's not saying much about it. They didn't say much about the numbers. They never released the numbers for Mulan, but we had third-party analysts that pretty much did the work and they revealed some pretty awful uh, figures. And it seems to be... A pretty whopping consensus in the last two weeks that this premier access experiment has all but failed in every regard because mm -hmm. um if you're just looking at the disney plus trending chart which you know granted is not i think as reliable as other trending charts are concerned but it's currently in fifth place on disney plus lagging behind the Simpsons, the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. It, it's really not doing well in the theaters as it should. Mm -hmm. And this may, in fact, really tell all of us how this is doing. They just announced earlier this week that Raya and the Last Dragon is being moved up. And on April the 2nd, it's going to be available to purchase on digital. April the 2nd. We're in the 17th of March, mm -hmm. which is the day of this recording. That's like not even a month. That's just basically a month that it's been available on Disney Plus for $30. But if you... But what what would probably what happen is it'll hit digital on April the fourth, and it'll what it'll be what a twenty dollar price tag. 
25 dollars yeah, basically I don't I and this was announced after obviously Raya had a week and a half two weeks on 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 Premier Access David I want you to to take all of this and and tell me what you're thinking but it sounds to me like this is just a resounding failure on every level No for sure um so I think part of the reason why Tom and Jerry is doing more successful is I think it might be because of the parents. You know, I'm sure some of them might have grown up watching Tom and Jerry as a kid. And so they went, hey, I might like this too, like far more than Raya. And so that's partly one of the reasons. The other one is Raya costs $30 to watch and no one... Like even some of the people who praise the movie, they're like, it's still not worth thirty dollars. <laughs> like, you know. And then, tr- what was it? Trolls World Tour. That one was just digital pur- purchase, right? Yes, that did not that that and did not like, premiere on a streaming service. It was just basically premiered on digital. I don't rem. I want to say it was twenty bucks. Yeah, I, like that's what I was, um, I was gonna say. Like you know, that one's twenty dollars, and I think it might have done just even more successful than uh, Tom and Jerry, like at this point for sure. And so I don't understand why they don't do the same thing. Just make it twenty. Hell, make it fifteen. Like you have very loyal Disney fans. Like they'll pay for it and all. The reason why we did it. I mean, specifically my sister is because me, you, and like the rest of the Red Spotlight group, you know, we were all going to watch it. You know, it's it's worth the $30 like on the certain situation that we're in. Everyone else, like if you're a single person who is just looking for something new to watch, they're not going to pay $30. You know, they can wait for Godzilla. They can wait for the Snyder Cut. It's fine. <laughs> But yeah, this is just, I don't know why they're missing the mark of just like, hey, it's the price. Lower it. Which is exactly what you said and what I said. What, what, what was the issue with Mulan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the movie was terrible. But that wasn't the reason why people didn't pay 30 bucks. It was mm-hmm. because it was 30 bucks. And paying $30 yeah. to v- view a movie on streaming whether it be on a service or on digital, is to many people outrageous. An unseemly mm-hmm. amount of money. And when you think about the primary like audience for this movie, it is who who is the one that does the purchasing? It's the families, it's the parents, right? Because you know, this is a family movie. People are used to only spending up to 20 bucks if they must for a digital purchase, or maybe a cutoff point is far lower at $10, $15 to rent a movie for 48 hours, depending on what it is they're looking for. But they Mm -hmm. sure as hell would never, I don't even think. There is a single movie out there, if you look on, on Apple or Amazon, that even has the stupid price tag of $30 to rent a movie. Like, that is mm-hmm. just, that's just not how things go. And, and we're talking about families here. Look, you can, and, and Alexis and Kyle, who've defended 
the Premier Access price point in the past have said, well, look, it actually is more affordable for families, let's say for a family of four, when you compare that to what the cost would be if they were to go to a theater. But mm-hmm. I would counter that by saying, but that's just not how people's brains work. They're not, they, they, they don't go, that, that may be the case that you're saying, but that's just not that not where their minds go to. They probably think of it as two different commodities. Like when you go and spend a hundred plus dollars on a movie theater, that entails perhaps an outing, an experience, you know, that, that, that's a whole day. Whereas paying mm-hmm. 30 bucks for something you usually pay, I don't know, five, $10 for to watching your TV. I think that's the standpoint from which families are coming from and why it is so clear to me that this Disney Premier Access thing has completely failed. Yeah, no, for sure. The thing though with families, like with families, it's not just like watching it this one time. No, they're buying this new Disney movie in hopes that their kids will watch it 50 billion times and like have a distraction. So like for that, it is worth $30. But the thing though that Disney needs to see is that the people that keep coming back into your movie theaters, the ones that keep like wanting to rewatch it are the uh, people around my age, like, you know, 20 something year olds who are again, very loyal to Disney, (laughs) but like they don't have families. It's just, they need, they need something to watch. And so they love Disney. They're going to go watch it multiple times. If, you know, if a, a friend of theirs hasn't seen it, they'll go again. Like that's, those are the ones that are giving you the money. And if like, you know, in in these times where people my age are struggling with either they don't have a job or the job that they have just sucks, you know, you got to make it cheaper for them. And so <laughs> like I get your family company and all that, but like the family is not really the ones making you a bunch of money. Bottom line is no one of any demographic is up for these prices. Mm-hmm. And I just don't understand why that wasn't evident to begin with. Yes, granted, Mulan had endless scandals mm-hmm. um, of issues. I mean, they had a problematic – well, from the perspective of, of the Chinese, they had a problematic star. Uh, the Chinese media completely black um, blacklisted them from being covered – it was it was a disastrous performance at the Chinese box office after it was revealed that they let them film near concentration camps, modern day concentration camps in, in China. It, it was and then of course the movie was terrible. So like it was just a an unfortunate collection of bad headlines. Mm-hmm. But that uh, to me that never really distracted from why this ultimately failed. That didn't help, but it was the price point. That was the complaint. It was from thirty the, bucks. That was the complaint from the beginning, and it's it's still going to be the complaint now for Mulan. You know, like oh yes, I know there's other, there's other stuff, but like that's that's going to be the first thing that's brought up with Mulan. Is that it's too expensive? I don't want to pay for that. Well, Mulan and Raya now, mm-hmm. and I mean, I I just don't like. 
it's a shame in this case because well, we'll look at the similarities with Mulan and Raya. Both of those films were entitled to what all of the other films were entitled to, which was a theatrical release to have their moment in the sun and look at the similarities between both of those two films. Yes, the Mulan stuff, the baggage would have been there, but I I think it would have been a huge success in a normal year with no pandemic at the box office regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, same with Raya. But then also look at the how much it would have meant to a particular community of people. In particular, like Asian Americans. Yeah. And they both, both of those big movies were saddled with this. It's just, it's an unfortunate circumstance um, mm-hmm. or happenstance that we happen to be, especially with the recent news. It's just, it's, uh, it sucks. It really does. You know? Mm-hmm. And both of those reasons, both of those films, and we, we talk about constantly here about how important representation matters. It's important for people to see themselves on the screen. This isn't David and I saying that we're promoting a talking point that is false. No, 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 no. This is so far away from what matters here. Let me tell you something. As someone who has spoken with people who consider themselves to be part of the Asian American community, the Asian American acting community, it is very important for them it, that these films are successful, that these films are viewed by as many people as possible for them primarily to see themselves on the screen, to see them validated, to see themselves seen on the big screen. And the Academy Award nominations, which we'll get into next week, is a big, big day for them. Remember, 1% of all leading roles in Hollywood happen to belong to Asian Americans. 1%. This year, there are two Asian actors in the best lead actor category at the Academy Awards. Mm. (laughs) I mean, these things are important and I know this wasn't at all a calculus from Disney that oh these films were not going to be successful anyway so we're just going to dump them on streaming of course not that's Mm -mm. not the case if both of these films were released theatrically they would have been runaway box office hits for sure but we're just but we're just in a different time now and we are not in any way um, aware as to how or when this is going to come back to normal. You know, a lot of us this year, a lot of, I think, of 2021 is in all industries and in all aspects of life is just going to be us sitting and waiting. Okay, when is the point where we can officially call time of death on Corona and we can get back to business as usual? We've made great strides. Mm-hmm. A lot of us are vaccinated. Some places are opening up now, but it's not anywhere. We're not done yet. We still got some more mileage to go on this. And yeah, as far as those films are concerned, it's just unfortunate. And I, I feel for that community in, in, in particular. Mm-hmm. But I would hope that Disney 
sees the incredible response that Raya received, especially from critics and from audiences. Um, and I would hope that they understand that there is some staying power in Raya and a potential in a potential franchise of sorts. You know, mm-hmm. they already announced as part of upcoming programming for Disney Plus, you know, projects for Tiana and Moana. Raya right here, there's some potential in there. Oh, for sure. Especially the way it ended. Like, mm-hmm. big cast, so many stories to tell. And just... This could be a big sensation if you really do understand that it could be. You know? I, I really hope that we're not left, you know, in a couple of years from now, where people forget movies like Soul or Onward, or Raya even exist because they weren't in theaters. Mm-hmm. Wait, I have a crazy thought. Do you think after this whole pandemic is over, if Disney decided, hey, we're, we're going to release both Raya and Soul in theaters, would that? do you think that would be a good idea? Theatrical releases right now are in a weird place. Mm, yeah, I sure. think there is validity to the idea that to encourage, to enthuse people to get back into the theaters, you want to have some big names. We're going to roll out some films from the past. We may even put some movies that you didn't get the chance to see, like Raya or or um, or Soul in the Theater. Maybe they could, or Hamilton. They could possibly do that. Um, I can't say with any kind of Sure, like I can't be sure that they're gonna do that. No, I know, um, it's just it's possible. Uh, it's just like I'm like, I do, I, I do like want Raya to have like a big success, you know. And I mean, so, it, I would be there, yeah. That's <laughs> I, I would be there to that's, see it. That's kind of like that's kind of why I was, um, okay with the whole uh streaming release of some of these movies is because I thought, you know, if I don't mind this, maybe it can be successful. But, like, honestly, I feel like they should take a chance of just going, like, afterwards, hey, we're releasing these in theaters now, too. Like, after this whole pandemic is over, obviously. I think, I don't know. For me, I think that could be a good idea. Especially because of the pandemic, I'm sure there's a lot of delays in their movies. And if they just need something to just roll out quickly. Yeah, I would be all for that. Um, I think it's... I I can't imagine it cost too much to do it. Um, whether or not they'd want to, I'm not sure. But I mean, I would imagine at some point there will be re-releases to some movies. There always all are, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Uh, I know they'll probably release Avengers Endgame again <laughs> um, because Avengers Endgame and Avatar seemingly have this thing where they have to like leapfrog the other. So yeah. Um, I'm sure something like that will happen, but again, like no one's really sure about what the point of that will be. But like right now, the space that we're living in, it does feel like the beginning of the end in a way. It does feel like a turning point, you know? Mm-hmm. And let me uh, get into a potential release of where Disney is not entirely sure. And then we can kind of tie that into this discussion about the premier axis and the future of it. 
You know, Disney CEO Bob Chapek um, said today, in fact, that a final decision on the release strategy for Black Widow, whether it would be theatrical only, a hybrid of theatrical and Disney Plus with um, Premier Access, will be a last-minute call. They do not know what they're doing with Black Widow. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I... I mean, what do you do? Yeah, I know. Like, uh, God, honestly, I really don't know. Because, like, for right now, they're good with releasing Winter Soldier now. Like, I don't think they really need to do much. But after that, though, that's that's when they're going to be pretty screwed. And then Spider-Man's coming up this year, right? At the end of December. That's true, yes. Mm -hmm. I don't know. No, I mean, I would say take a chance around August and September to release Black Widow in theaters. A couple of issues with that. I know. Um, (laughs) I'm sure there is. (laughs) Well, August is when The Eternals is supposed to premiere. Oh, okay. By Chloe Zhao. And then in July... Shang-Chi. July, Shang-Chi, okay. So the way that it is right now is May, Black Widow, July, Shang-Chi, excuse me, not August, November. Okay, this is weird. November is when The Eternal is supposed to come out, hmm. right? Um, or was it August? I, okay, I, I don't know the months exactly, but you have four movies that are supposed to be released this year that have become because of Marvel Studios. You have The Black Widow, followed by Shang-Chi, Followed by Black... Really? Another Asian film that's going to be done? Okay, this is... Okay. That's... Okay, we just went on a whole thing about that. I'm not going to get into it, but that's that's really... That movie needs to be theatrical. I mean, if they're smart about that. Then Eternals. And then Spider-Man 3. All by the end of the year. If you move Black Widow... All the way to August. I, I, I don't know what happens to those other Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. But then what's the alternative, right? Do they just go ahead and say it's staying on May 1st and we're going to do the exact same thing we did with Raya where we'll play it theatrically and you can also pay 30 bucks for Black Widow. Let me ask you this question. We, 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 we just said... That thirty bucks is too much for people. Mm-hmm. Do you think Black Widow could be the the exception to the rule? Do you think more people would be enticed to pay thirty bucks for Black Widow because it's a Marvel movie? Uh, I think I do think more people might go for it and all that, especially if you and especially if you do a theater release. Also, like I do think uh, Black Widow is going to be far better than Raya and Mulan. But if they won't, in terms of in terms of how it performs, or, or you mean the demand for the movie? Um, in terms of how it performs, okay, yeah. But like, if they do want a big, big success, though, lower the price, like fifteen, twenty dollars, easily. And the problem is, you think they've, they would have gotten the message the first time around? I know. Do you think they're getting it now? I. 
I don't think so. I think at this point they're going to want to set their foot down and stay in the $30. (laughs) Which... Let me just remind you. Okay, so this is the thing. If you want to watch Ryan the Last Dragon right now, you have to pay $30 on top of your monthly Disney Plus subscription. However, if you just wait till April the 2nd, um, or actually, maybe it's April 4th, I think it was okay. second. Yeah, a second. Never mind. Yeah, I, I was looking at the wrong numbers. April second, you probably would only you probably would spend ten dollars less to own it, plus special features, if you're so inclined. But and here's the thing: at the same time, you're gonna have two options to basically view Raya. You can pay thirty bucks for it on Disney Plus. Or you could pay 20 bucks for it on digital. Um, I mean, hopefully they see an increase uh, after going digital and maybe they'll learn. But here's the thing, David, that doesn't make any sense. Like you're giving people a a cheaper, more affordable option, not on your streaming server. You're going to have both of those two options at the same time. Meanwhile... It hits Blu-ray later that month as well, in April. And then I believe June is when Raya um, will be on Disney Plus without having to pay 30 bucks. So they're going to keep that premiere access paywall all the way until June. All the while, if you want to see that movie, you can pay 20 bucks on digital. But if you don't want to spend nothing on Raya... Which, I mean, hey, that's what you want to do. Wait till June. Mm-hmm. It's... <sighs> it's dumb. <laughs> I, I don't know how much money you reap from that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just a... It, you know, new times, pandemic times... I, People are trying to make money however they can, but like it, this just doesn't seem. Maybe Black Widow can be that movie, but I still like I I I I don't think that thirty dollars is going to convince anyone. And so, what is the alternative? Um. Well, look. Let's see. Will theaters be open? Well, I have here that AMC theaters. Will have ninety eight percent of its locations in the U.S. open by this Friday, March the nineteenth. They're opening uh, forty plus locations here in California. They just opened theaters in New York, New York City. AMC Theaters, the largest chain in the United States, will have almost a hundred percent of its locations open um, for the first time in months, if not a year. Um, you'd have to think. That is going to maybe enthuse more people. But the problem is, barely anyone's going to watch a movie right now. Even there's, we've had several weeks now where we've had some new releases like Judas and the Black Messiah, Tom and Jerry, now Ryan the Last Dragon. No one's going to the movies right now. Mm-hmm. No one's going to the movies. You'd have to think that. When the vaccine is 
I don't even know what to say, David. I can't predict. I can't predict when it's going to be more enticing for people to come back to the movies. I think it's, we're we're waiting and seeing the numbers to see how they come back. Mm-hmm. But it, like May still may be too close, and for a theatrical only release, maybe. And and then, well, what do you think? Um, I I I think May is a too close of a call for just a theatrical release. Um, oh man, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's just, uh, again, like you just said, like you don't know the outcome of people's reaction to this or people are, if or how people are going to respond. But also, we really can't predict the success of this. You know, before it was just, oh yeah, Black Widow, million dollars for sure. But now it's just, it's, Honestly, I can probably i I wouldn't be surprised if it sunk lower than Raya did. Black Widow, you yeah, mean? I mean, if it's only just a only theaters, you know, I I really wouldn't be surprised. Well, like, I think there's going to be a lot of people vaccinated by May, mm-hmm. um, but maybe not May the first. That may be cutting it a little too close. You know, the president just said the other day on a national address that by May the first, by the end of May, every adult should be able to get a vaccine if they want one. Um. Um. How about this though? We know that Loki, the Disney Plus series, was pushed to June. Why don't and I don't know if they would be willing to do this, and I also have no knowledge about how far along they are in terms of production. I know Black Widow's done. That's been done for almost a year at this point. But as but as far as um um what's it called loki yeah i can't be entirely sure about where they are in terms of their production schedule but that being said could it be a possibility that maybe you can push loki to may and then push black widow to june to give it a little bit of wiggle room to see how the conditions are then mm-hmm. no yeah i 100 percent agree uh they just they need something to fill uh to get the audience attention and i think putting up um loki uh into an earlier date would definitely be very very helpful to them or any type of content really just to uh, only like disney's on anything on disney plus like if they can move it up to an earlier date just so they can fill up the gap uh, between whatever they release now to Black Widow, and hopefully it'll just give them more time, um, everyone else more time to get vaccinated or just feel more comfortable going back to the movies. Yeah, in fact, like I think that to me sounds like the the safest course of action. Like I would be pushing if we can, let's push Loki to May, let's get Black Widow to June. And maybe that's the last we'll have to do it. But May just seems... 
Like, we can't be sure if it'll be too early, but we also can't be sure if it's just not, um, if it'll be too late. Like, again, the, the situation that we're in is changing by the week. So perhaps we, by the time we get to May, things have improved so much that it'll come out right in time. But I would be pushing for June if we can do that. Mm-hmm. And I know they have a lot of other movies to like figure out. Like there's Jungle Cruise, there's Luca, Shang Chi, Eternals. What happens to those? Uh, Cruella also I think is coming out this year. So um, that seems like it's a done movie. Push it up. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm sure they do have like a lot of content that they can push up, but. Uh, it's just I I do believe, like if this was a regular year like no pandemic for sure Black Widow is going to be the biggest success out of like all the things that are coming out and so I just think they just need to take a chance of uh, giving everyone more time to get comfortable like ah uh, he got something there <laughs> yeah it, it's it's a conundrum if there ever was one mm-hmm. um all of this you know. But, yeah, how do you think – so, from this business standpoint, I think you and I have established how we feel about Premier Access. It is just a complete failure. Mm. And we don't think it'll be that much better even if Black Widow was involved. Maybe a little bit, but maybe not all that much. Where do you think – well, how do you think Warner Brothers is feeling right now with their decision, with how they're doing things, where their movies are – you know, debuting simultaneously in theaters as well as on HBO Max for no added cost, but for only 30 days. And then it it's removed from the service. Do you think that's working out for them? I mean, we, I've heard nothing, but I mean, what do you think? Oh, I mean, it could work out for them, I guess. Because it's also, I mean, it's both theaters and digital, right? like on all other stuff, then yeah, I think it could work out for them. Because, uh, I mean, again, the reason why it's a lot of these movies make so much money is because it, they have rewatchability. Like, I can see Godzilla, if it's a big, big success on HBO Max, I can see them, like, people wanting to go to the theaters uh, to watch it again, you know? I mean, at least after the 30 days, obviously. But... It could be a big success for them, and if not, I guess to to me the thing that is the most curious about this, in I think with Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, Judas and the Black Messiah, the Little Things, and now Tom and Jerry, and I think in the next month or so would well so far with those movies. What's really curious is that they're available with, with for free if you have an HBO max subscription Mm -hmm. at the same time that you can go to the movies and watch it but what i find the most curious is that when in 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 particular with tom and jerry people still went to go to the theaters and watch those movies Mm -hmm. that's interesting that's not how you would how i would have expected things to go so you gotta wonder what this will amount to mm-hmm. in the future. I mean, again, though, Tom and Jerry's a, a special case because it's it 
it's a family. It's a name. It's a name. Yeah. It's a family movie. That's why I like Godzilla. I think the big one is going to be Godzilla. See how that does. Yeah. And that one is the next barometer to see how much that draws to the theaters. I want to caution people, though, that even though it got a lot of great trailer hits, the last Godzilla films have not performed well at all from a box office standpoint. Mm -hmm. So I'd argue Godzilla really isn't much of a draw anymore than it used to be. Maybe things have changed because of the trailer. Maybe things would have changed by then because more people would have been vaccinated and it would be willing to go to a theater. Um, Who knows? Mm -hmm. Honestly, who the fuck knows? We're still trying to gauge where all of this will land, but like, yeah. Um, so with that being said, let's go ahead and get into a lot of this WandaVision discourse. Uh, David, we've had, we did a three hour show last week with Peter um, about our review of the WandaVision finale. Um, it more or less seemed as if we all kind of reached a, a consensus of sorts on how we felt about it. Um, and we've had good God, two weeks now, almost two weeks mm. since the finale yeah. was dropped on Disney plus, And we've gotten a chance to look at the discourse, a lot <laughs> of the talking points, a lot of the um, narratives that are formed as a result of how things ended up. Do you, um, how do you think the conversation overall is for WandaVision right now? And what I mean by that is, have you noticed an overall positive result, some negative, um, narratives popping up? What are some of the things that you've seen that have struck conversation because of the WandaVision finale? I've seen a few negative responses, but it's it's the dumb ones. You know, the, the there's no Mephisto. There's my theories are wrong. Um, SJW crap, which I mean, I don't know. This is like the least SJW thing that they've done. Um, but I mean, I don't know. Actually, I literally haven't seen that many positive stuff. But uh, to be fair, though, I haven't watched that many reviews <laughs> about the show. Like, I think uh, from I've seen one. It's just uh, some slight confusion of the finale about where it went, and we talked about it. Like, you know, we thought there's it was gonna lead to some stuff, but it just kind of didn't really pull through that much. But yeah, I don't know. I I I really don't know like what the overall uh conversation or like what their overall thoughts that people have about this show i i would say the response has been mostly positive mm. um and i can't i can't sit here and say that the wandavision discourse has reached hateful levels like mm -mm. it has with other projects um but there are definitely some detractors and Perhaps we'll have a little bit more insight into how everything was made with uh, 
the creators, you know, Jack Schaefer, the showrunner, and Matt Shackman, the primary director for these episodes, they've been basically going on an interview tour, um, and they've been fielding a lot of questions. And, um, you know, I shared some of that with you, David, and, you know, I'm going to start reading some of these, and uh, we'll take them one by one, mm. but we'll see how, well, we'll just see, right? We'll see what we think, and we'll <laughs> see. Uh, the reaction that some of these have caused. So, <laughs> this is a hilarious one. Uh, Jack Schaefer, she's the showrunner here. Let me just tell you something based on uh, reading a lot of her interviews these past two weeks. She is someone that clearly isn't a comic book person, and I love her for that. I love her for that, and you should too, those of you listening. You don't need to be a comic book nerd. You don't need to be a fan of superhero movies, really, if you want to make something like this. You just know how all you need to know all you need to know is basically how to tell a good story. Mm -hmm. And what I found in a lot of her responses was someone who just wanted to tell a story of Wanda's grief. That was it. That was the thing. Yep. That's that's what this show was about, and I also do appreciate a lot of her. Um, she's not at all embarrassed um, by her uh, supposed lack of comic book knowledge or what Marvel is doing. You know, beyond Wandavision, where certain things are going to go. Like she's just very dry in that sense. Like I'll give you an example here. So she was asked a question about what. Or where exactly was Wanda at that cabin in the mountains? It's the second post-credit sequence at the end of the episode. And she gave as her response three words. I don't know. <laughs> I I, mean, I don't care. Who cares, really? That I, That's an interesting question, sure. But it's like, I just, I, I respect to where it's like, I don't know. I don't care. Yeah. Really, I think she meant to say, I don't care. But like, I don't mm -hmm. know. And that was, that was the response. I think it just shows that she had no plan of like, or I think that was the big thing that she had no plan and tying it into Doctor Strange. You know, you're like, yeah, you yeah. had the line of the Sorcerer Supreme stuff, you know, but maybe they just, I don't know. That could have been like a Kevin Foggy thing. But I go well, ahead. I mean, it's just like if you had the ending of of her going somewhere to like train or look up her magic or something, you know, you would have thought that maybe Kevin Foggy would have come come up and be like, oh, instead of the cabin, just at the uh, what is it, Sanctum Sanctorum, and that's it. That's it. Yeah. But like, yeah, they had absolutely no plans to tie this into Doctor Strange, like directly at least. Yeah, I did read a lot of the interviews, and I didn't have it written down here, but I do want to say that there was communication between the WandaVision team and the Doctor Strange team as far as, like, just in the sense that there was a producer at Marvel whose job was to make sure everything was, like, not contradicting mm -hmm. something that came before or after. Like, there was even a producer from Captain Marvel, too, who was... um you know, knew 
what was happening in that movie and was making sure all the Monica stuff was quote unquote accurate from what they were planning on doing with that movie. So, but there wasn't any kind of like mention of, oh yeah, the teams got together to make sure that what we're doing here is paid off in Doctor Strange. A lot of us had this fear and this concern. Um, that being said, a lot of us, not a lot of people wanted WandaVision to basically be the first part of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Mm-hmm. They wanted it to be like the first act in a movie. And you see, and we discussed this last week. I'm kind of happy that Disney Plus shows are not going to be that because then they won't stand on their own and they'll just feel like setup. And as we discussed with Peter last week, I just don't understand the the perspective of fans. Like you 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 just do you not comprehend that you're really hindering the impact of storytelling? When you do something like that, mm-hmm. you know, when you're basically having everything having to be dependent on what comes next, like, it's like you don't know how to read a TV show or a movie. Mm-hmm. It has to stand on its own. It can't just, like, fly into the next thing. Like, and, you know, some, I'm not going to forget that tweet that I read, I think, a few weeks back that said, where the, and I think I read it out loud in one of our shows where this this person who was basically a self-affirmed Marvel stand was saying the problem with people who are saying what I'm saying is that you're looking at, at Marvel as films and TV shows. That's a serious mm-hmm. response to something that is supposed to be a movie and a TV show. Yeah, it's just so my my issue was is that I shouldn't be looking at it as a movie or a TV show. It just makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. So the aerospace engineer was the aerospace engineer an intentional plant for misdirection. We talked about how last week the character of Dottie was one of those characters that was put in there for the art of misdirection. And uh, this is what Jack Schaefer said. No, we did not plant that intentionally. That wasn't meant to cause the furor that it caused. It was a surprise to me. That's an example of one of the fan theorizing snowballs that got a little bit away from us. And I didn't even know about the John Krasinski Reed Richards fan casting. And there was something about Evan's performance on the show that made everybody cameo hungry. And that wasn't a priority for us. A lot of hot cameos. We were really preoccupied with telling a good story. So the aerospace engineer and the general lust for cameos were both surprises to me. But still very fun. I applaud all the ingenuity and all the theorizing. It's all great. David? (laughs) Yeah, again, this is like, this is just the fans' fault. Like I said, you played yourself (laughs) (laughs) from the very beginning. I I remember 
that line of, you know, oh, I have a error, I have an engineer friend that can help us out. Like, I just saw that as a normal person saying, just talking about, oh, okay, cool. This is how she's going to get back into the hex. That's it. Like, that's all I saw it as. I didn't see it as, oh my God, Reed Richards. And I did play into the theories just because everyone else was saying, and I'm like, oh yeah, it could be him. That'd be cool. Whatever. But at the same time, though, like, I don't know. Well, you know what the problem is, though, too? It's this thing of people praising Kevin Foggy for planning out so much stuff. But, like, he really wasn't. You know, I think the big one for me is um, Captain America Civil War. The writers in that show, they had no idea what to do with that story. The only thing they knew was the villain. And it wasn't Zemo. It was that guy in the computer in Winter Soldier. Uh, uh, Zola. Zola. He was supposed to be the villain in Captain America 3. But Kevin Foggy literally just went to their office and just said, Civil War, and walked out. And the writers were like, oh, shit, that's a great idea. And they just, they worked something out. You know, like, this isn't some big thing. And then um, the writers... They didn't know about Spider-Man. I, I can't remember if they had planned Black Panther. But, you know, what they did was genius is that they wrote the story in a way so that if Kevin Foggy came up to them to add another character, they were ready to put him, put a new character in. Like, they had that plan. But for it to be Spider-Man, they had no idea. <laughs> so, again, this, you know, them, you know, this... Every single movie, all these shows, especially for Falcon and Winter Soldier, don't look at every little thing as like some kind of setup because <laughs> you never really know. I mean, that's an interesting point that you bring up there, and that is the over praise um, or the over. It's over praise. <laughs> sure. Um, Kevin Feige is a great producer and he's the president of Marvel Studios and he deserves a tremendous amount of credit for getting all of these movies to even exist mm -hmm. and be successes in the first place. He's not the director and he's not the writer of any one of these movies. He's a great producer and that's what he is. And to me, you see, I've, I've had a, an issue for the longest time now where not just the Marvel stands, but also the journalists and the, and the uh, media as well as critics all have this thing in common. They all pretty much treat Kevin Feige as if he was the one that was making all of this. And he himself, he himself and him, this is where I, I, I kind of lose patience because the, the Marvel stands in particular, they're the ones who are supposed to like, you know, pride themselves on being the true Marvel fans and everything. And it's like, you've no understanding at all as to how any of this even worked. Mm -hmm. Like it, not enough praise is being given to the individual writers and director and directors of the films, you know, in, in particular with um, the one that I really noticed with the most was um, with, Chris Marcus and Steve McFeely, the writers that you were just referring yes, to, I can remember that as well as, as well as Joe and Anthony Russo, the directors, um, 
for Winter Soldier Civil War, Infinity War, and with Endgame. And look, there's no accounting for taste. You're, everything is subjective. You can like what you like. But that isn't even the issue here. The issue is people who, like me, love those films, but in most cases, treat those films as if the person who really put it all together and had you know conjured it up, had planned and mapped everything out years in advance, was Kevin Feige. It's just ridiculous to mm-hmm. me. It's completely ridiculous to me. Like, and how disrespectful it is to Marcus and McFeely and the Russos. They're the ones who primarily deserve the credit for making those work as movies. Mm-hmm. Not Kevin Feige. Yeah. And yet, anytime it's brought up, it's like, it. I don't know. It. It. It, it always makes me feel just you know, PO'd at the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, any way you slice it. I, and even people who, okay, that creeped me out. That really, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. I didn't know what I was watching there. Holy crap. I was like, and she was looking at me with a funny face too. I'm sorry, everyone. We were just interrupted. David and I were, David's door was opened by some kind of she beast. She just wanted to ask if um, she can borrow my car. <laughs> okay. She scared me. <laughs> so Alexis Moreno, who you may know from our shows, just randomly opened the door and was making a face. And I didn't know what I was looking at. I thought I was looking behind me as if somebody was opening the door behind me. <laughs> so- but in fact, it was you. So I was so freaked out in that moment. I wasn't even sure what I was saying. The point is this. I was even seeing some tweets um, that were saying that the Snyder Cut was better than Infinity War because there, no. there's this group of people who... No, there is this group of... Isn't that a laughable thing mm-hmm. to say? But there's this group of people who are out there who are, you know, media people who are like, Infinity War, it's not a good movie. Mm. It's just like, any way you slice it, I, I, I honestly feel like Marcus McFeely and the Russos don't get any credit whatsoever for the success that they actually made. Mm-hmm. And, I, and at the same time, when it comes to Kevin Feige, you create this narrative that he can do no wrong. And I'm sorry, that's horseshit. Mm-hmm. That is horseshit. Kevin Feige is not above making mistakes, quote unquote. Let's spend some time right now. I think Kevin Feige, with all due respect to him, and WandaVision to the least extent, may fit the bill. But I think he needs to spend more time on telling a story in which each aspect is tied in thematically. It's the basics of storytelling 101. Mm-hmm. And I think scratching the surface on a relevant issue in the world does not mean your movie is saying anything. And they can be saying something, but you're really saying nothing. Like if you you, you don't get credit for being for having a powerful message like in Black Panther, 
but you don't really say much of anything about what's happening in society. Bless you, David. Thank you. <laughs> I just sneezed. <laughs> I mean, there are, I think especially with phase three, I think there were a number of missteps. I think Peyton Reed is a mediocre individual. Ant-Man and the Wasp, or Ant-Man and the Womp Womp, <laughs> it was probably the most boring thing Marvel's ever made. Captain Marvel is your Superman. And while it may be enjoyable, David and I enjoy it just fine. It's it's fine, but that there's a problem when you call it fine. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't have been just fine. It should have been great. And you dropped the ball on that. Yeah. Yes, you made a billion dollars. But it should have been a great movie, and it wasn't. Black Panther should have been far greater than what it actually was. I know no one else in the world will agree with that. But it could have been a lot greater than what it actually was. But it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So let's not pretend that there weren't any kind of missteps. And let's look at... The, the, look, you know, you have 50 characters in these Avengers films. I, I, I wish shows like WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier... I wish there would have been they would have existed opportunities to have fleshed out those side characters and TV shows. Guess what? There were shows that were airing on the air um, that were tied into the Marvel Universe, but because there was a spat between you and whose name shall not be mentioned, there was no synergy between the two forces on TV and movies with Marvel. So this is what we got. Look. I hope that these Disney Plus shows, like with WandaVision has just done, with a fucking Winter Soldier will do, will turn these likable secondary characters into actual characters beyond just having a likable personality. Because mm -hmm. now they're being given the space to be given such that. And so the fact that these shows exist and are doing character work kind of implies that it wasn't perfect in the first place when they were in the other movies when it comes to those secondary characters yes it wasn't their film yes but not everything kevin feige does is good great or perfect and people have to start like deluding themselves like the, the thing that frustrates me is there are legitimate um areas of criticism feige just seems far too complacent and well, we'll see. We'll see, right? With WandaVision, that was the first instance where I felt like, wow, there was an attempt to do something here beyond just being the usual generic Marvel stuff. Mm -hmm. We'll see how Falcon and Winter Soldier does. But it's, it, it, I, I just find it uh, troubling when when people just start to like find no, like to claim a person can do no wrong. Whereas, and this is the really insidious part here it's like with kathleen kennedy it seems to be the opposite when it comes to the fan base from their perspective she can do no right as far as they're concerned mm -hmm. and to this day to this day they're still trying to get her ass fired whereas peter just said last week the hell are you assholes trying to get her ass fired for she's given you everything you wanted she's given you all the shows you wanted she's making every part of legends canon again because that's all you care about. And you still want to get her fired? And you still say that she had, she's not at all, you know, involved with how Mandalorian has been a success or for all the other live action shows that you want? 
She's the one that made those things happen. She signs the damn, you know, paperwork. So what's what, what what's really going on here? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that went on a completely different tangent. Anyway, back That's to what fine. I was reading off here. Um where she was saying like you know people went cameo hungry yeah they they really went cameo hungry and I ha- I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stand by this um it's the Mandalorian syndrome mm-hmm. it that's all that it is it's like the Mandalorian all of a sudden has made people think that all TV shows that are associated with cinematic universes all that they should be about is just reminding us that they're connected to other things and that every other episode should be featuring a cameo from a legacy player because the Mandalorian season two did just that. And so that means for some reason that created the expectation that every show that is connected to an interconnected cinematic universe should be about featuring faces that we already know on a cameo basis. And that is... It's just horrendous storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's not even a story, though. Like, if you just do that, like, there's no story if you do that. There's no story in The Mandalorian. Like, whatever you thought of WandaVision, whether it was good, bad, or just whatever, you know, at least they attempted to make a story. At least, in the end, people understood Wanda even more. I mean, at least that's what I think. And so... Yeah, Schaefer says here, we were really preoccupied with telling a good story. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at the Mandalorian season two, you mean this is what was so inexplicable to many of us is why it was that that season, that show, was being portrayed as something that was preoccupied with telling a good story. Why is it that while all of you were crying at Luke Skywalker killing a bunch of robots, did it not occur to any one of you why he was even in here in the first place? Did it not occur to you that his presence was basically stealing the spotlight from the actual main character of the show? Because here's the thing. Mandalorian, I do think it is trying to praise the... What's it called? Um... It's praising Star Wars, basically. And so, like, the Mandalorian and the WandaVision and WandaVision are the difference between caring about the Phantom, fandom and caring about the story. <laughs> you know? Because that's the thing, though, is that people are all... Because... Oh, God. The thing, though, is, is that the people that hated The Last Jedi... <laughs> You know, they're all, they just, they keep mentioning over and over. It's like, oh, these writers or this person, they don't care about the fan base. They don't care about the fandom. They don't care about the lore and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, I, I saw that, um, Dave Filoni and, uh, what's his, what's his name? John Favreau. John Favreau. Yeah. They care about Star Wars. They care about the fan base. You got a shit story. <laughs> you, you didn't get a story at all. Like, you got your, fandom cool but at least with wandavision you know yeah i mean i would have loved to to have seen doctor strange in this i would have loved to see what they did with mephisto but you know in the end like i 
I I know what they want to. I know what these people want to say and how they wanted to like, and how they wanted to do it. At least what Wandavision did right is that it didn't praise the fan base. It praised the medium, and what they praised in this was comedy, and they fucking nailed it. I don't know what to add to that, but sure, yeah, yeah. I, another uh, quote here by Schaefer. Um, more about the aerospace engineer. And look, this is really more evidence to just show you that this is never intended to be anything else. The character is Major Goodner, and she's named after one of my friends, Allie Goodner, that I went to Princeton with. I made that choice because that character represents every time one of these women has come through for me and every time they've been good at their job. That's all it was, people. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we just need to like, we need to understand these Marvel shows, thankfully, are not the Mandalorian. They're not concerned with reminding you or, you know, filling your faces with cameos. Hopefully, with this show being a good indication, they're concerned with telling a good story. And um, in retrospect, perhaps it was a bit too foolhardy for any one person to think that this one Marvel television show was going to be responsible for introducing X-Men, Mutants, Multiverse, and Fantastic Four. (laughs) Yeah. We might need to check ourselves. Mm Mm-hmm here uh, and then again the screen rant asked a question about if there were any other characters that were planned again for more cameos because of restructuring or scheduling right like and then one word response no no <laughs> she was asked was Ralph the witness that Jimmy Wu spoke of and she said that is a no comment from me. <laughs> I thought it was for a second. I thought that was a, one of the paperwork that was there. That's what it was, but I guess not. It's just an actor. I guess not. Mm-hmm. What about the beekeeper? I love that question, she says. That's also a right? But it's more of a no comment. I don't know. Pass. Next question is what it is. That one... She did not know, I guess, but Matt Shackman was asked this question and he basically gave like a long answer saying, well, he, like everybody else that was in this Westview situation, basically was fine and back to normal by the end of all of it. So for those out there wondering what happened to the beekeeper, if common sense wasn't the answer, there is your official answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I apologize if that sounded condescending, but what can you do? Here's a big one. Some more clarification on Evan Peters. <laughs> and we should note, um, particularly, and I don't know, you have to let me know, David, how Alexis feels. But I know some of a, we, we had a show last week with David and Peter and myself, and we all were of the mind. We're like, well, I love the, the Ralph Boner twist. David was like, I guess, more indifferent to it. Um, Kyle hated it. <laughs> um, what did Alexis feel about it? Um, I don't think she said anything about it. Nah. 
Okay. Well, I guess there's that. Um, but Fantasy Fair Podcast will be having a review of the WandaVision season at some point, so make sure to keep your ears out for that. Um, so here's clarification on Evan Peters. It was always the intention that Evan be fake Pietro. That was, excuse me, that he was not, in fact, the MCU Quicksilver. Then beyond that, I can't actually remember when those discussions, excuse me, I can't actually remember when those decisions were made. It was very early tied to his storyline that he was Agatha's puppet. He was a young man living nearby. She had taken over his house and was holding him hostage. We really loved it. It was at the service of Agatha's character because we loved the idea that every time she would complain about her husband, she was actually speaking out loud about the man she was holding hostage. <laughs> it was just so mean. I need more of this. I need more of this. I love these answers because like there's just, I mean, it's fun and, and it's, it, it, this is just getting, you know, to hear behind the scenes of writing. And it's like, what I love about this answer is I think what I'm sure a lot of people listening are not all that enthused about is like the complete absence and the complete disregard about whether or not this adheres, adheres to, you know, notions of fan service or, you know, uh, what the comics did or what the fans want. Like, this is just something the writers thought was funny and they did it. And you notice in this entire answer, it's like, there was seemingly no discussion. And this is an interesting part of, um, this is an interesting point because I think it, it, as we've established last week, it is very fair to critique this aspect of the show in terms of like what, how they were handling the whole Evan Peters thing. It turns out, based on these answers, they didn't really intend for people to think this was the MCU. I mean, this was the Fox version of Quicksilver. Mm -hmm. They didn't intend for people to think that this this meant multiverse was going to happen on this show. I have to ask you this question, David. Um, do you feel perhaps that was a mistake on their part to have not had that occurred to them? That this could be... Because a lot of people were really convinced this was like the Fox Pietro and this was going to be the the, the opening of, of a multiverse. And if you think it was, why didn't someone from Marvel and Kevin Feige think or say that perhaps this could be an issue for them? Based on, I mean, on optics alone. Oh, man. I, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why someone wouldn't have told them, you know, because, I mean, I, you would think maybe Kevin Foggy had, like, an idea of what would happen about this. Or maybe he didn't know and he just, like, he didn't care. Maybe he liked their idea so much that he's just going to stick with that. Uh, but either way, though, he should have told them, like, hey, just so you know, if you do this, though, um, it's probably going to lead to this and this and this. So it's just a heads up. Maybe another example of how Kevin Feige really isn't um, micromanaging everything. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably it, too. <laughs> Although when it comes to stuff like this, there should be. I'm not going to say that there should be a team of, quote unquote, nerds or experts that are like gatekeeping like they get final say 
but there should probably be a, a team of people around them to just give the writers a heads up. Oh, by the way, this happens and this happens. Also, if you do this, this could be a possible reaction by the fans. Like you're basically going to get people's attention. You're going to keep, you're going to get them asking, Hey, what does this mean ultimately? So it just seems in like a little weird that this wasn't expected at all. Mm-hmm. Um, she was asked further about how concerned straight up. They were asked this question. How concerned were they that fans may be disappointed that he wasn't the true Quicksilver? And this is what she said. Well, that wasn't a big concern. Straight up, that wasn't a big concern because there's not a lot of. I respect Marvel for this because it's not fear based decision making. They don't do things because they're afraid of upsetting the fans, they do things to delight the fans. And I feel like that's just a really great way to operate. So, uh, interesting answer, but she basically says, no, that really wasn't a concern. I guess, mm-hmm. I guess what she means to say is. Maybe maybe they knew the stir it was going to cause, but they really didn't care. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the thing, though, is that they had an answer for this question, you know, and it wasn't intentionally bad or anything. They weren't like, oh, let's fuck with the fans. Let's see what they do. Like, no, they were they were genuinely thinking, OK, if we add Evan Peters, what what would it do to Wanda? That's the important thing, people. You know, because it wasn't like, oh, let's add him. And then the multiverse will open up. It's like, okay, what does that have to do with Wanda? (laughs) And so I think that's part of the reason why they weren't concerned at all. It's because, hey, this is our answer. This is our reason. If you don't like it, that's your problem. (laughs) And that's a great way, honestly, to like really work in this um in that part of the industry, basically, <laughs> especially for a big fan base. But I, I really hope that, um, cause I mean, in some of the interviews, Jack Schaefer has also revealed that, you know, she didn't really, she was given some comics to read, but she really is a self. She said in the interview that she really wasn't a fan of comic books. I don't care really. Ultimately. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at one division, look how great it turned out. And, and you know, there's your answer for somebody who doesn't like comic books. I mean, hey, the Russos were not a fan of the Captain America character. And then look what they did. So, but then again, there is this lingering idea out there that some of these these fandoms perpetuate that if you're not someone who's a fan you have no business writing or directing or being part of something like this. And I think that's really toxic mm-hmm. and that's really unfortunate. But um, I really hope that this doesn't, I mean, it's so far it hasn't gotten vicious from what I've seen, but I just hope this doesn't perpetuate this whole like MCU bullshit you talked about where it's like, um, you see Jack Schaefer didn't know her stuff. Why did you hire her? I'm sure someone out there will say something about it. Yeah, probably. But no, I don't know. I mean, 
for that case of like you know being fans of the source material I don't, you, yeah you don't have to be a fan of the source material i think and wanda is a different uh thing but like i think if you're gonna start making a comic book movie do some research about the character obviously you know they did yeah they did well i mean i'm saying about like i'm talking specifically about like captain america like when the first right first ones came out you know definitely do some research and i'm sure they did and it worked out great they're great storytellers and that's all they and that's all you need with wanda though it's a different thing because you don't need the comics in this situation maybe for like the extent of her powers obviously or like how the magic works no actually no not even like you already have they already have their own universe the mcu's like they already made their own universe they already have the wanda character set someone just needed to come in and work some things around to like make her a full-fledged character and so you don't really need the source material for that uh i have another quote here this is this time with matt shackman uh, still with Screen Rant and separate interview here. And this is regarding uh, Monica, Monica's powers. And this answer is interesting. Um, we had all mentioned, I think last week, that the sequence with Monica getting her powers wasn't the best. Um, Matt Shackman provides here um, some context for how he envisioned it. I kind of wish it would have been as good as or as clear as what he's saying here. Um, I mean, I guess it was, but it wasn't, I guess, all that exciting. Let me just read to you what this says and I want to get your response. This is what he says here. The trip through the hex boundary literally breaks her apart, which is very similar to what happens to Wanda too. There's a kind of death that happens to Wanda before she can be reborn as the Scarlet Witch. And it's the same thing for Monica. The radiation pulls her apart into a whole spectrum of different Monicas. And she's also being confronted with her life flashing before her. We hear audio clips. She's confronting her grief in the same way Wanda does, confronting her grief and her loss. And it's through that sheer force of will that she creates herself anew, that she pulls all those things in. What she's doing is controlling the wavelength of energy. She's controlling the spectrums of energy, which is what she does. She aligns herself with that hex instead of being defeated by it. She controls it. She creates a path through, and she's then able to see the world anew. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I understood the part of her... You know, it's almost like it, like the grief is hitting her even harder now because she's walking through the hex and she is pulling through, trying to keep herself together, and she makes it all the way out. That part I got. Everything else, I was just like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> uh, I mean, I actually like the idea that like her powers brings her, uh, gives I guess gives her a new perspective, a new sight, almost, and that's actually pretty cool. Wow. Um. But yeah, this should have been, I don't know. I don't think it should have been so metaphorical. <laughs> I, don't, I think with powers, you shouldn't be so metaphorical with them. I think just try to be as literal as possible. 
my issue with, with with this statement is that if that was the intent, um, I didn't get that from that scene all the way. Like the part of her like being torn apart, sure, but like the whole grief thing. Yeah, I don't think I think there was a better way of like because that whole thing Matt Shackman is making out to seem like that was Monica basically reaching her arc. And that this is this is the moment where she confronts and overcomes her grief. And well, if that's the case, well how it was directed, and I'm sorry, but he's the one that directed this, it did come off very anticlimactic. Mm-hmm. For sure. And that really wasn't and like the whole time I was watching that, it, I I wasn't like I wasn't empowered. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking anything about Wanda I mean Monica confronting her her grief. I was just thinking Oh, Monica's getting her powers now. Yeah. It was like that it was just here's the setup. <laughs> like that's all I thought really. And this is the part where we do think the kind of, the show kind of did mess up on is that they should have put her more into the show. We, 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 yeah. All three of us uh when we did the podcast, we really thought uh Monica was going to be uh, play a bigger role in the show than what she had and after that scene where she gets her power she basically just falls off the the face of the earth mm-hmm. the, 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 that was that was the peak of her character that they, they did nothing with her afterward yeah mm. so yeah that that is um unfortunate overall with uh with monica rambo then comes the matter of um the dark hole david <laughs> Um, the book of the damned, as they call it. Um, I have a feeling this is going to be probably the most, um, of all the questions lingering from WandaVision, this is the one that's, I have a feeling is going to be left lingering for quite a while, isn't it? Mm, For sure. Because it's, I don't know if it's just a question no one seems to want to answer, but yeah, this, this is, uh. This is weird. So Matt Shackman was asked about um, what Wanda was doing with the Darkhold at the end of the show. And he says, I wouldn't want to say too much. I can't say too much, except that obviously she's studying up and learning a lot from the Darkhold. And we'll see where that goes. Um, but that's not where we're, what I think is a lingering question. I think it's pretty obvious what the hell she's doing with it and what's going to become of it in some way. Her reading that book, she's going to open the multiverse, yada, yada, yada. We know where that's going to go. The question that is confounding is what does that mean for the other Marvel shows that we've been talking about, right? Because it was a different design and it was a similar book. And we talked about this last week. And then this is what the direct says, the the website, the direct, that was uh, basically, uh, they did a good stop, a good job fleshing out the story. Um, then the topic of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. came around as the Darkhold showed its pages over on the popular ABC show, supposedly set within the same timeline as the rest of the MCU. First of all, props to the direct for actually referring to the show as popular. That's a first. <laughs> um, so there's that. When asked if it was the same exact book or an entirely different one, Shackman said he would imagine it's the same book. 
Yes, we designed it anew. We didn't look at the other Darkholds that had been designed. It is part of the Marvel Universe, though, so I would imagine it's the same book. I don't know exactly how it was used in those shows, in those other shows, because I wasn't a regular viewer. But the Darkhold has a comic's origin. Its mythology will continue to be developed. How does that answer sit with you? They have no idea about the Darkhold. Orange of S.H.I.E.L.D., really. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, again, it's just Kevin Foggy. Like, it was up to him. If he wants to make the shows canon, could have easily told them, hey, this is how it originally looked. You can change it up a bit if you like, whatever. Because, you know, I think it's, I think it would have been fine to change it up a bit for, uh, for it to be in the actual Marvel Cinematic Universe. But, yeah, he should have kept an eye on it, you know, so that fans wouldn't be confused, but... It's an interesting answer because, like, we have to dissect this because first he says he imagines it's the same book. That's him saying maybe, but he's not really sure because then you read the answer and it's like he doesn't really know what the original book looks like. Mm -hmm. He's talking about in vague terms like the Marvel comics. He's, he's basically saying that the Darkhold is a Marvel comics property. Yeah, we know that. But he's also saying that he doesn't know what the other designs were. They didn't look at what it was, how it looked like in the other shows. It just came up with a new design, so... Yeah, it's a weird answer because at first it says like, oh, it's the same book. But then when you read into it, it's like, well, doesn't really know mm -hmm. because there really wasn't a discussion Yeah, about it. This also adds on to what we've been saying. It's like Kevin Foggy doesn't like plan out every meticulous thing in this universe. You know, I'm sure I like I am willing to bet in another movie when they bring it up, they're going to say that it changes its shape. Or they go say something that won't erase Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And that's it. <laughs> In a separate interview by Screen Rant, this time with the showrunner Jack Schaefer, the same topic of the Darkhold also came up, as did the question of its connection to that of the one in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Schaefer offered a conflicting answer to Shackman's response about the book. She says, I've been getting the question, and I don't have a hard and fast answer. We were not looking at that book. This was the dark hold for this story. This is her saying, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the hell. What, what I don't know. I mean, it's we designed a book. It's called the dark hold. This is the book we use for this story. Mm -hmm. But to the question about what does that mean for the other shows? She says, I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> They don't know. Yeah. They don't know. Okay. Yeah. I okay. I mean, I this doesn't surprise me, I guess, but it's like are we ever going to get an answer to that? I mean, I, I don't know. It's like it's, uh, for, we can't like for sure we're not going to get an answer from them anymore. Like it's really up to no. some other writer now to decide what they're going to do with this uh connection basically. Yeah, and I mean, look, I guess one could say that, look, if they didn't look at how it was previously designed, then should that not call into question whether or not the people at Marvel Studios consider that to have happened in their canon? First of all, this whole conversation of canon is very annoying to me. 
because it there's this implication that if that something has value if it's canon or not and there is this whole group of people who are literally just trying to invalidate the entire existence of that show oh because it's not canon it's not worth my time i'm not watching it it doesn't exist bye bye and that is uh another example to me of how this kind of uh, interconnectedness has kind of ruined storytelling because evidently nothing matters until it has a connection to something. Um, then all of a sudden, I guess it matters. Mm-hmm. So yay. It's hard to tell really what these answers mean in regards to the other Marvel television shows just based on what we're hearing from Jack Schaefer and Max Shackman because they're just the people working on this show mm-hmm. and all they were concerned about was what they were doing for this show. And yet they're being asked a lot of questions as we just went over this past hour of things they quite frankly know nothing about. <laughs> and honestly, with the Evan Peters thing, I did try to come up with my own answer as to why they picked him to play it that didn't have to do with the multiverse. And my thought was just kind of like, it was to divert from people to think that that this was Agatha's doing you know because like if if you're going more misdirection yes because like if you want to people to com- to be convinced that this is that this was um Pietro who do you get obviously the first choice is Aaron Taylor Johnson but if you can't get him Evan Peters is obviously is the best second choice because he's already played that character people know him uh, if they look, if people have no idea who that is, they can look online real quick and go, "Oh, okay, he played this guy. Oh, wow, these people are kind of excited about it. That's cool." And so, and yeah, like you just said, it was supposed to be a misdirection. We're supposed to be convinced that this is Pietro in some way, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think it was the director of the show that said, you know. Again, it's for for us to be convinced that's Pietro. We also need you also need uh, Wanda to be convinced, and his reason as to why bringing back Pietro, but also kind of uh, putting a different face on it, is because this is what grief does to you. You're mm-hmm. you are willing to believe anything, especially for Wanda. She's willing to believe anything at that point that that is her brother, and so. Uh, Again, people, you played yourselves. <laughs> if you just thought about it a bit more in a character level and an emotional level, not in a what makes you the happiest, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess like we're going to have to find out. I guess I don't know if they'll ever just come out and say it, but I feel like in the next year or so, we're going to find out a lot about in regards to people who keep wondering about what this means for the the wherever the universe of agents of shield is set in because they're doing a miss marvel show kamala khan is supposed to be an inhuman i imagine they're not going to do that with the tv show because of the damage done to that property because of that failed inhumans television show Mm -hmm. and also because they've kind of been used in shield so they might they may just dodge that all together um 
it was hilarious. I don't know if you if you saw this, but like there were some rumors about a month ago because of a a month ago there was a new trailer for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And there was a bunch of stories, a lot of clickbait articles that popped up saying that um uh Falcon and the Winter Soldier may reintroduce the Inhumans in the MCU all because the Inhumans TV show Twitter account shared or retweeted the trailer. <laughs> For Falcon Winter Soldier. The reason was that the account was dormant. It doesn't really do anything. It doesn't have regular posts. Um, that's pretty thin. Um, because, I mean, there were other accounts like uh, Cloak and Dagger retweeted it. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. retweeted it. The official Twitter handles for those. So, I mean... Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was, but, I was okay. about to say, like, okay, that the, I I can understand why people would be theorize that, but once you mentioned that the other shows did it too, then I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, people are going yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah, they are. But they were like going through all these theories that like um, the Inhumans are going to be reintroduced. Um, and watch, that's what happens. That would be so. <sighs> if that happens, I mean, then you have your answer. You have your answer. That's what happens. But um. We'll see. But you know what? I, I have to think that, that on some level, I think both can be true at the same time and that there are going to be aspects of the S.H.I.E.L.D. show, storylines or facts about their universe that may end up being retconned here and that they still come back because... They can do that basically. I guess they always have the out of saying if, if for example, those rumors are true that Clark Gregg and Chloe Ben are going to appear in Secret Invasion and the Dark Hold is not the Dark Hold that they used. Without at that point, I mean, I guess they could point to multiverse, which at that point would have already played out with um, Doctor Strange 2. But we also have to remember, and I've I've kept saying this, like, didn't S.H.I.E.L.D., like, they broke a time loop, and then they also time-traveled to a different multiverse themselves? Mm-hmm. So, like, they always have, like what Peter said last week, it doesn't take really a lot to really explain why they're here now. They have many different options. Um... And they could say that, well, um, it's a different Darkhold because it changes shape or because they were in a different multiverse when, when that storyline occurred and now they're back here. Who the fuck knows, really, ultimately? Mm-hmm. And also, we don't really know ourselves how much um, recognition, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. as a show was going to receive uh, by these new Disney Plus series. Um, one would hope something. Um, I know that there was a um, a S.H.I.E.L.D. producer that on Twitter recently said that in one of the Falcon and Winter Soldier trailers, there were some masks that were similar to the ones that were designed for the Watchdogs, I think in season three or season mm. four. But as far as like, can like, I, I mean, when Secret Invasion, they're casting right now. They're not filming, they're casting. So... I know Chloe Bennett was recently cast in that Powerpuff Girls show that for the CW, 
Um, but David says he, he seems to believe that there shouldn't be too much of an issue, considering that Secret Invasion is going to think filming later. I think in the I want to say in the summer. I think it's going to start filming. It's a six episode series. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think there'd be too much of a conflict there. Yeah. Again, if and this is a big if, if those reports and rumors happen to be accurate. Mm-hmm. In regards to Clark Gregg, because I mean, just to be clear, the ones I've read from Fandom Wire and other places have said that Clark Gregg, Chloe Bennett, and Charlie Cox um, are supposed to make appearances on Secret Invasion. I mean, and we also um, don't know the extent of their roles. So, again, exactly. with Chloe Bennett, um, you know, it, it just could be a quick flight in and out. <laughs> yeah, but um. Well, what would that mean, David? What do you think... Let's say that happens. Let's say Chloe Bennett and Clark Gregg do make an appearance um, on Secret Invasion. What do you think the implications mean then? As far as all these questions of canon or not, or... And how do you think people are going to react to see those characters appear on Secret Invasion? I mean, I think you and I would personally love that. Mm -hmm. But how do you think that would be received? by these people who seemingly would rather pretend that show didn't exist. I mean, I would hope. My thing, though, is that if they do put him in, what are the chances that they are going to be the same characters as in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Because they could easily just go, you know, oh, yeah, I was brought back to life. I'm okay now. Like, they could just not add the fact that he's an, uh, an android or whatever. And then with Chloe Bennett, they could just introduce her as a new character. Like, I mean, completely new. Not the same one as in the show. Like, that's an easy thing to do, really. But I would hope. What about Charlie Cox, though? I think because it was praised more than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And because there's no connection at all between that show and uh, between Daredevil and um, S.H.I.E.L.D., they could just make him the same character. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, there's a lot of things they can do. For me, I would hope that uh, Chloe Bennett uh, is the same character as in the show because I love the show. <laughs> and for the people's reactions to it, I mean, I don't give a shit, really. <laughs> it's like, you didn't like the show, that's your own, that's on you. Yeah, uh I suppose it's a possibility they could be playing different versions of um, their characters, but I can't imagine that's going to be that's going to go over well with people. Probably not, but I mean I don't know. It's just you never really know with uh, the Marvel fans. Really, like they could yeah. just be like, "Oh, but it's it's still Chloe Bennett." You know, I mean, it's still Quake. Like, that's so cool. We're gonna get you know maybe a more comics accurate version of her, and so like that could probably happen. Um. With Coulson, the Coulson thing might be something different because, I mean, people wanted him back right from the beginning and we got that in the show. (laughs) So to just kind of like throw away his arc throughout the series and just make him a new, that might not go over well. Yeah, um, they could just be scrolls. But I mean, even if they are scrolls, that would mean that they exist in the universe then so that's why it's mm-hmm. 
it's interesting. It's interesting. Again, we're going to have to wait a couple of months to see if that does end up panning out. But there were several um, outlets out there that were saying that they were going to be in it. So I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see what that means. But um, I think what is very possible is they are in the show. They're playing their version of the characters. And you probably are going to see at some point in these Marvel Disney Plus shows contradictions to what happens on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. happen. I think that's just natural. Yeah. Um, but... Um, I guess to me, I, I don't care really, but what makes me upset is that people are going out of their way to look for reasons to um, further devalue the show. Mm -hmm. um, like, did you see, David, like all the shit that was um, literally, did you see the number of articles that... Um, were made since the WandaVision finale uh, regarding the Darkhold and um, what it means for um, the S.H.I.E.L.D. people? No. You didn't see that? No, well, let me, let me share with some of you right here. Like, screen rant. Uh, WandaVision just made every Marvel TV show redundant uh, and instantly dismissed Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as irrelevant. That was Screen Rant. Um, Tom's Guide. WandaVision just Thanos snapped these old Marvel TV shows out of existence. <laughs> Comicbook.com. WandaVision's Darkhold raises Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. continuity questions. Uh, CriticalHit.net. WandaVision confirms Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Runaways, and Cloak and Dagger are not Marvel. Um, comic Book Resources. WandaVision's new Darkhold suggests Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Runaways aren't canon. GamesRadar.com WandaVision Episode 9 has everyone questioning whether Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is still canon. I can't say I have more. Decider.com Did WandaVision's Darkhold reveal just piss on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s grave? I need you to tell me, David, I'm not the crazy person here. Because doesn't it feel like some of these people have it out for this show that is no longer on the air? I think they've always had it out from the beginning. Or not from the beginning, but like after a while. Because I, th I do think that, that the first season people were kind of praising it. Like, oh, cool. Uh, but yeah. Remember when it was on the air? Um, I think it it started around season four, all the way through the end of the show. So before you had endless articles of um, questioning whether or not the show was relevant or canon. While it was on the air, do you know what the majority of the articles written about the show was? What? Remember the headline, the common one? Is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. ending? <laughs> If you literally Google Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. ending or, or like about to get canceled, there's a lot of articles up on there. So like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a weird thing that constantly happens. Um, yeah, it was, uh, weird overall, but, um, I don't know. 
By the way, if anyone's curious out there about what this show is all, why there's so much commotion of it, by the way, like we're not the ones that are driving all this traffic. We've been talking about it because we love the show and like when there are connections or when there are references or we want to compare to something else, we have this show in mind. Um, but here's an example, as I just mentioned, that it's been discussed all throughout. Um, David, where... Like you and I look at all the Marvel shows. Um, where does uh, where does WandaVision fit with you as far as like uh, your ranking of Marvel TV shows? Because I think you're the only one that saw all of them, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so you watched also all of the Runaways and Cloak and Dagger, yeah. um, Iron Fist, both seasons. Yep. Luke Cage, both seasons. Um, Jessica Jones, three seasons. Daredevil, four seasons. Mm -hmm. The Punisher, two seasons. Um, Agent Carter, two seasons. Inhumans, one season. And um, In Shield, seven seasons. Yeah, I, I don't think I finished Punisher season two, mm. but I know what happens. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, and I think for the most part, you enjoyed most of those. Yeah. Um, or if not all of them. So, like, what what would your, your top three be? Now with WandaVision included. Um, I think Daredevil has to be number one. I guess Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. could be two. And then WandaVision. Yeah. Because, I mean, I love Jessica Jones the first season, but, like, as a whole, though, season two and three, good, did not hold up so well. Really? Yeah. I never saw them. Yeah. I mean, I didn't find them bad. It's just, I mean, that first season was so good. Ugh, it just it was, it couldn't hold up, yeah. really. Um, yeah. Punisher was fine. Uh, Luke Cage, it's fine. I I think that's like my second least favorite of the Netflix shows. Mm. Mm. I mean, Runaways and Cloak and Dagger, honestly, are like my least favorite in the shows. Inhumans. Oh, really? Well, okay. Inhumans is. Inhumans, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I almost forgot about it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think those three, for sure. I've been wanting to rewatch Daredevil. <laughs> that's why I put it like as number one because like yeah, yeah me too I think look you and I have the exact same top three I think the difference is the order mm -hmm. so um, for me I mean I think every jaw in the world would drop if I didn't say shield was my number one <laughs> I mean clearly it is um, but my number two maybe I think WandaVision's number two for mm. me and then Daredevil number three the reason why is by the way I love all those shows, yeah. to be clear with you. Um, I think what, what did it with me with WandaVision is the sitcom. You know, it, it revived the piece of me that I thought was long dead. The romance and then the emotion between those two characters, I think, really, really sold it for me. Mm -hmm. um, but then close behind it is Daredevil. And I still haven't seen season three. But I have to say, like, what, what really kind... Oh, wait, oh we forgot. <laughs> I guess one show, The Defenders... Ah, uh, remember, remember yeah. that? I mean, 
it almost felt like a season three of Daredevil. It almost did. I mean, it wasn't. Yeah. It almost did. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. I mean, oh, man. Honestly. Can you believe that there was a show called The Defenders and we just forgot about I that? I know. Oh, my gosh. They, should, they need to put at least that one on Disney Plus or something to revive it. Oh, God. Um, Damn, The Defenders. Honestly, I really liked that first season. It was pretty cool. I don't think I'll put it in my top three. Maybe top five. I liked how it started out. It was really strong, and then by the end, it was um, it was okay. Yeah, it dragged on how for just a tiny bit, but I mean, I think overall, I, I got what I wanted from it. There was just the interactions yeah. with these four characters and uh, what they brought into it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I almost forgot it existed too. <laughs> the defenders mm-hmm. um i guess like the ones that are the bottom for me in humans iron fist i only saw season one um and that's a hard one because like i haven't seen the i haven't seen a lot of seasons like uh punish well i guess punisher Season one, I I I thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of people really liked Punisher season one, but I was like, it was fine. It was fine. Runaways was fine. <laughs> I never saw Cloak and Dagger. However, if I'm looking back, I guess my to round up the top three. So I had Shield, WandaVision, and Daredevil. Right behind it, I would put Agent Carter and Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. Because oh, yeah. I really loved, I really liked both seasons of Agent Carter and season one of Jessica Jones is phenomenal. Yeah. So, um, mm. I don't know. I really got to think about it, honestly. <laughs> Interesting. Well, maybe we should have a, a show of it sometime. Yeah. Um, and like these are only like the shows because there are other shows that were produced by Marvel Entertainment like Legion and The Gifted. I guess those could count. Mm. I don't know. I'm not sure. I never saw those two. I saw the first season of Legion and I really liked it. I still need to watch the other mm-hmm. ones. But honestly, if I could put Legion, who knows? That might overrun mm. it. I, again, I need to watch the other seasons, but we'll see. Okay. Um. So... Where are we right now with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I have to say, I kind of stayed away from all the marketing. I haven't really looked at any of the trailers. Um, I just want to see it for myself when it drops mm-hmm. this week. W- what are your expectations for what this is going to be? I mean, the same thing with uh, WandaVision. Like, I really want um, Sam to be a really good, fleshed-out character. And I... And Bucky. And Buck yeah, for sure, Bucky. I feel I feel like Bucky's like an easy thing to do with him because there's a lot, a lot of baggage with him. I I feel like the most difficult one is going to be Sam because he's already like a very likable character. And so how do you going to like make me care about him even more or like make him like me or make him make me like him even more? <laughs> um but yeah, I feel like honestly, if like if I had to have to compare, I feel like Bucky is gonna be like Wanda, and that we're really gonna get him 
to sort of like be free of his past. Mm. And uh, Sam is going to be like Vision, I guess. Where I mean, they really are kind of the same because like Vision has no idea who he is. Sam has to figure out what kind of like hero he wants to be almost like it's they're almost the same character. So I'm very curious how they're going to end up in the end. And I mean, who knows? Yeah, uh, they're really going to prioritize a lot of action. So I would hope that the set pieces are good. Um, I know I I saw an interview real quick uh, with one of the producers was saying that they did a lot of practical action effects. So there's that. Um, again, what I'm most concerned about is getting to see Sam and Bucky as actual characters and them inhabiting a space and a story of their own. That's what I'm most concerned about. What I don't want to see, though, is... And I can't help but feel like maybe these first two weeks you're going to see it. I don't want to see this tweet or or this narrative come up like from some people like, you see? You see WandaVision? That's how you get us hooked. That's how you do your first two episodes. That I don't have any patience mm. for. And if I see it, I'm going to go ballistic. Oh, I think you're going to see it, especially with like the action. I um, know. Yeah. The action. The action is going to like, re- like uh, a lot of people evidently only care about that. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be like, you see, fucking my main concern. And again, it always has to be an area of frustration for me. But what I am most concerned about is this narrative popping up. That automatically says, well, you see, Falcon Winter Soldier is already miles above WandaVision as far as quality is concerned because it had action. I'm going to see an MI. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. And especially because Sam is like directly tied with the Avengers basically now, especially because he's like new Captain America. We're going to get a lot more references to the to the movies Uh, there's already one in like a promo that they sent out Mm. um i mean again it was just they just mentioned dr strange it was just a little joke that's all it is but like i feel like to keep that up throughout the show it's gonna be enough for a lot of people (laughs) that's interesting because i remember back in 2013 when a new show was interconnected to the MCU and they kept referencing, you know, the Avengers, Captain America, Iron Man. And I remember at the time people were attacking the show because of how often it would name drop characters. I love how that's come back around and apparently it's a good thing now. So, yeah. Um, We're going to see articles like that, aren't we? (laughs) Yes. Oh, God, I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> We're gonna see articles like that prop up, or like, uh, like, like we saw with Wandavision. We loved it, but we also were a little bit um, turned off when we see articles like Wandavision has revolutionized the television industry. Mm. <laughs> and we're like, what the fuck are you smoking? So I think we're going to see, we're, we're probably going to see one that says fucking Winter Soldier has changed the way we watch TV. Um, and we're probably going to see, I bet you, at one point we'll see the Falcon and Winter Soldier is everything Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. never was. I'll bet you everything I have. Mm-hmm. Which isn't much, 
But <laughs> I bet you everything I have, we're going to see something like that. But if there is, come back to Red Spotlight and you'll see it here. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's our show today, guys. David, do you have anything, anything else to say? Nah. Good, because I'm done. Thank you all for listening. As a reminder, you can listen to our podcasts anywhere you listen to podcasts on iHeartRadio, Google, Apple, Spotify, CastBox, and YouTube. Every single Sunday, sometimes on Thursdays. We're going to have weekly recaps coming up with Falcon and Winter Soldier, as we've just mentioned. Next week, we have a review of the Snyder Cut, Raya and the Last Dragon, and of course, our thoughts on the Oscar nominations. Fantasy Fair is going to have their own review on WandaVision, like we just had ours. Fantasy Fair will have their own review on Ryan the Last Dragon, as well as diving deeper into some Disney legends uh, from Disney Park's perspective. They just announced Disneyland is opening up again, so keep an eye out for the Fantasy Fair with that. Until next time, thank you all for listening. Stay under the spotlight, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.